All right. Well, my name is Jake. I am uh, Tecla's husband, the one that's been feeding you. Hopefully you've been fed well. Nobody's keeled over yet, so it looks all right. Um, I know her food can be a bit uh, overwhelming at times, right? Not dodgy. So. Good. Amen. Amen. And then to go along with that is good friends and good fellowship, right? Good, good, good. Awesome. Uh, as I said, my name is Jake. Uh, I've got two kids. Uh, you'll meet them today if you haven't met them already. Jeremiah is here. He's running around playing with his truckers. Uh, Jade is at a birthday party this morning, so she'll probably, well, she had a sleepover, so she's probably going to be a bit cranky and whatnot. So she'll fit right in with you guys, right? A bit tired and cranky. Yeah, good, good, good. Um, <clears throat> My, I've been, uh, we've been in New Zealand for about 12 years now. Actually, what's today's date? Today's the 16th, so I think it was the 12th. We were here 12 years now, so it's been 12 years and a few days. Um, we moved here, and we were a part of the Bible College, Calvary Chapel Bible Institute, for the last uh, 11 plus years, um, and then, you know, as everybody, everything else went pear-shaped a couple years ago. Uh, we stepped away, and now we're a part of Calvary Chapel Hamilton, uh, which is just down the road. I'm uh, Steve Jones' assistant pastor, so I get to do uh, all the things that he doesn't want to do or whatnot or can't do. So it's good to, good to be with him and helping out with the church there. It's definitely a change of ministry uh, for me because I was very much doing this, doing Bible school teaching with you guys, teach a couple of times a week, and then every 15 weeks, people would come and go. And basically, it got to the point where if they didn't like me or I didn't like them, I'd just wait long enough and they leave, right? It's kind of a, a good thing and definitely a bad thing. But, uh, but no, the Lord's doing a work in me and getting me used to um, church ministry. Church ministry is definitely different than Bible school ministry because people don't go away, right? You, know, you guys are always there, and your youth leaders are getting used to you and whatnot, so... Um, but no, it's a blessing to be here. It's a blessing to uh, share with you guys God's word. Don't worry, I'm not going to get into too many good old day stories, the glory days. You know, I know I'm a little bit older than most of the youth leaders, so we won't get into uh, those things. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray and we'll dive into Galatians chapter 3. So that's where we'll be. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 is where we will be. So, <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you so much for this time, Lord. Thank you for that worship. Lord, it, it truly is uh, an honor to worship you in spirit and in truth um, and to uh, just set our hearts right before you. Lord, it, it isn't about us. It isn't about what we've done or who we are, but it is about you. And, Father, I pray that we... we Align our thoughts with that, align our hearts with that, align our minds, our bodies, and our attitudes towards that. Lord, I thank you for this time, and I pray that you speak to us. I pray that you uh, speak to me and speak through me, and let us have open ears and open hearts and open minds to what you have to say. In your son's name, amen. <clears throat> so uh, the theme verse, as many of you well know, I'll just, um, or have heard, I'll just turn there quickly because I want to reference it. Don't worry, I'm not going to teach it again. I know Jordy did a great job of that last night. 
But the, the theme verse is 2 Corinthians. You can keep your place in Galatians. You don't have to turn there. But 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And, and as, I, as Jordy asked me to, to share and, and come and share with you guys, I got to thinking, what does that mean? What does it mean to be transformed from glory to glory? How does that impact my life? And, and really what I, I kind of was focused on or what the Lord put on my heart was that idea of being transformed and being changed and being changed from glory to glory. But if you're anything like me, I started thinking, why? I'm fine just as I am. Everybody likes a good ginger, right? Everybody needs a ginger in their life, and so I'm good as I am. And I even started thinking to the point where, well, I'm not as bad as that guy, or I'm not as bad as the person next to me, so why do I need to change? Why do I need to be transformed from whatever glory a ginger has to the glory of God? And that got me thinking about the law. And really, that's what 2 Corinthians 3 is talking about, the glory of the former law of what it was to the glory of Christ and being free in him. And that's where I want to look at Galatians 3, verse 19, because Paul really addresses that question. And ultimately, the question that he asks is, what is the purpose of the law? So let's read in Galatians 3, verse 19. <clears throat> what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of the mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, Truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture was confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul starts this, this section off as saying, what is the purpose of the law? And, and really what he's done already at the beginning of this chapter is he's already said, we are justified by faith. So it is our faith. It's not our actions. It's not what we do. It's who we believe in that is what saves us. So he says that was implemented before Abraham. So he says, from the beginning, we have always been saved by faith. So if we think con conclusively or logically, the next question is, so then why the law? What's the purpose of the law? And when he refers to the law, what he's talking about are the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the sacrifices, taking the animal, and what they would do is they would take the animal and they would lay their hand on the head of the animal, and they would, they would say either vocally or internally, this is what I've sinned, and it would be symbolic of transferring their sins to that animal, and then the priest would take the animal 
and he would kill it, and he would offer it as a sacrifice to God. And so there was a substitution so that the person didn't have to pay the consequences. That animal was doing that. And so Paul says, well, hang on a minute here. If, if I've got the math right, if I've concluded all of these things, if we've always been saved by faith, and that was before the law, before Abraham, before Moses, then what purpose does the law serve? Why do we even need it? What, what was it there for? Well, the law, Paul, Paul even goes in and he says, the law, not only does it save us by faith, but it brings a curse. And he gets into that, that that curse is ultimately death. But the law was there to be more than just a curse, more than something that was inconvenient and even to our modern times weird of sacrificing animals. It was something that God had implemented with a purpose. But what Paul's going to get into is he, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't as if God said, oh, darn, you human sin, now we've got to deal with it. It wasn't an afterthought because God doesn't have afterthoughts, right? He's God. He knows all, and he's seen all. So he's not thinking, oh, darn, these humans, they sinned. I didn't, I didn't know that was going to happen. Let's give them the law. No, that wasn't it. There's a purpose. Notice Paul says in verse 19, he says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. The word their transgression simply means our sins. So as humans, the law came about because we sinned. Adam and Eve, if they had not sinned, and even if we did not sin, then there would be no purpose for the law. But again, Paul says, it's not just because of sin, it's to reveal something to us. Yes, sin entered the world and it needed to be dealt with, but God wanted us to see something bigger than, oh darn, we've messed up, let's get this right. It reveals a couple of things. If you're taking notes, great, I'm going to make four points here as to what this little law reveals. If you're not, don't worry about it. There will be a test later. Just kidding, there won't be. But the first thing that the law reveals is it reveals that God has a standard. Everybody know what a standard is? He has something that we should measure up to. I don't know about you guys, but growing up, in, I grew up in California. My mom uh, always loved to see how tall we were. And so she, you know, she would have a stand at the doorpost and mark our height. And she loved that so much that when we moved to New Zealand, we started having kids, she sent us, or rather she came over and made us a, a, a ruler. And she got a plank of wood, she put numbers on it, and it was the empirical numbers because it was easier instead of doing all the centimeters and millimeters. Anyways, we had it in, in, our, in our house for a while, and, and we would measure the kids. And so it was this height. And basically what happened was, okay, dad, you put your mark on there. Mom, you put your mark on there. And basically now, Jeremiah and Jade, they would always go, oh, man, I'm getting taller than dad. Or I'm getting almost to his height. And Jade now, as you'll see, she's almost taller than Tekla. And, and she's like, I'm getting to that height. The reality is, is that's the idea here of God having a standard. There's something that we're trying to attain, something that we're trying to achieve, some sort of height that we're trying to reach. And ultimately for God, it's not about how tall we are, thankfully for those of us that are short, right? The standard is not height. The standard is holiness. 
that God's law reveals that he wants us to be holy. That word there, holy, just means separate, different. The the temple is referred to as being holy because it's different. You wouldn't go to the temple for a rock concert. You go there to worship God, right? How many of you guys have, have, well, hopefully, maybe I won't ask this question, but uh, you've noticed in the toilets there's a brush, not your toothbrush, but the little brush next to the toilet, right? Everybody knows what that's for, right? If you don't know what it's for, talk to your counselor or your mom or dad later, okay? But you're not going to go and grab that and go and wash the sink with it, right? You're not even going to grab that and start brushing your teeth with it, hopefully, right? Jotham, don't get any ideas, okay? The idea is that that toilet brush, it's holy. It's set apart. It's set for something very specific and hopefully for nothing else, right? (laughs) We pray, right? That's what holy means. That's what God wants us to be, is he wants us to be different from the world, set apart, used for his glory, not for the world's glory. Romans 3.10 says, none are righteous, no, not one. The idea is that God desires us to be holy, but we all fall short. We all miss that mark. Again, the problem is sin. We're not able to live up to God's standards, which is the law. Which brings us to point two. The law reveals that we can't meet those standards. We can't reach that height of holiness, of righteousness, of being perfect for the Lord. I mean, let's face it. Humans have been trying for thousands of years, and they failed for thousands of years. Adam and Eve, Abraham, Moses, Paul, no one was righteous, as it says, not one. We might, again, we may come back to that conclusion. Well, that's fine. I'm not that bad, though. You may even look to the person next to you and think, I'm better than they are. Don't do it now, hopefully. I might even be better than my counselor. But let's face it, the reality is, the standard is not the person next to you. God's standard is not your counselor. Let's even face it, the standard is not even your mom and your dad or even your pastor. The standard is the law. If we fail according to the law, that's what makes us a sinner. Or that's what reveals that we can't meet his standard. That word there, sin, many of you may have heard or or whatnot, it simply means to miss the mark. The idea is is when archers would shoot their bows, or no, they wouldn't shoot their bows, they would shoot their arrows, hopefully they don't shoot their bows, they shoot their arrows, and when they would hit anything other than the bullseye, they've missed the mark. They were a sinner. So the idea is that they were not perfect, and that's how it is for us. We don't meet the standards of God's law. We may be better than the person next to us. We may be better than our counselors. We may be even better than our pastors, but at the end of the day, we don't meet the mark of God's standards. But that leads me to point three. The law reveals that there are consequences for not living up to God's standards. And we may think, okay, let's face it, all of humanity 
has missed the mark. So what? There's still consequences. God said in Romans thir- or sorry, Romans 6:23 through Paul, he says the wages or the penalty of sin is death. So again, God's standard is holiness. It's being separate, being different than this world, and the penalty of not meeting that is death. Now, we may not see the consequences here and now. We may not even feel the consequences of sinning here and now, but ultimately we will. When Paul says in Romans 6.23, death is the penalty, he, he doesn't necessarily mean physical death. Although that is a consequence of sin, we will physically die. That's not what he's getting at. What he's talking about is separation from God. It's spiritual death. So every time we sin, we are separating ourselves from God. In a way, it's as if I sinned against God, I'm choosing to take a step away from God. I'm separating myself from him because he cannot be around sin. So the consequences of our sin is spiritual death, separation from God. Because sin is just that. It is a choice. We can choose, now that we, if we know Jesus Christ, we are free from sin, meaning we are not bound by sin. We can either choose to sin or we can choose to be free from sin and not do it. But every time we do, we're choosing to take a step away from God. We've missed that mark. Don't worry, you can pick it up. (laughs) Therefore, we need to pay the price for it. We've messed up. We've missed that mark. We have to pay the consequence of that sin, which is death. But leads me to the fourth one, is that the law helps us to understand that there's a substitution for our sins or for ourselves. The law, according back in Leviticus, Exodus, and and Deuteronomy, it says that you could bring an animal in place of yourself so that you don't have to die. The law said, do not steal, do not murder. And if you do any of those things, you can make a sacrifice of an animal to stand in the gap for you so you don't have to die. There was a substitution, if you will, that could take your place. You bring that animal, as I mentioned earlier, to the temple. You place your head, hand upon its head. You could put your head on its head, but it's better if you put your hand on its head. And you would symbolically be transferring your sins to that animal, and then the priest would kill it, and it would pay for your sins. The animal paid that price. The problem with the animal sacrifices is not only is it a bit weird now for us, but it was temporary. Every time they sinned, they had to bring another sacrifice. So if I went and stole something today, oh darn, I stole something, here's a lamb for my stealing, and then I leave, and then I go and steal something again, here's another lamb for my second sacri- or for my second sin, and then I go and do it again, or I do something else, every time I sin, I had to bring an animal. It was temporary. It was only as good as I did not sin. And let's face it, as Romans says, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But this is where we get to verse 23. 
Notice verse 23 of Galatians chapter 3 says, But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Notice Paul says that before faith came, we were kept under the law. When he says faith there, he's not necessarily saying before the applic- uh, before faith, before the world began, or before we could even have faith. What he's talking about is he's talking about Jesus. He said, before Jesus came, before faith, or the application of faith came, we were kept under the law. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be under anything, especially when you're wrestling or rolling around and fighting people and whatnot. You don't like to be pinned down, right? I get a bit squirmish and freaked out and just get off of me. Leave me alone. Hence why I don't like to fight. Um, What's that? I have no idea what that is. Oh, yes, we did, didn't we? Okay. Yeah, that was the only time I did like that. That was fun. But anytime taking down Jotham is a good time. So anyways, moving right along. Notice it says kept under. The word there, kept under, it, it means to actually not be pinned down as in the idea of being wrestling. The idea is being guarded. It's being kept under or protected by something or something else. So Paul says that the law kept you, it protected you until faith or until Jesus came. So the idea is that the law was preserving us so that when Jesus showed up and we could be saved by faith through his work on the cross, we no longer needed the law. The law was therefore fulfilled. It was holding us safe until faith was made evident. So the idea is that the law was always supposed to be temporary. It was something that was not supposed to be permanent in the sense of sacrificing for my sins. But the next question that I have when thinking about this is, that's great, but how does the law keep me? How does the law protect me? Well, this is where verse 24 comes in. Notice what he says in verse 24, if I could find it. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Notice, Paul doesn't ask the question how. His next response is simply stating, therefore, the law was our tutor. The word there, tutor, it means a guide or a guardian, really. The idea is it goes back to Roman and Greek times of when they had slaves And ultimately, it was an old and trusted slave who would take the children from the house to school and then bring them from school to home. The slave was ultimately someone who protected the children on the way to school, delivered them to the schoolmaster, waited for the children to get out of school, and then brought them home and protected them from any bandits or bad people or doing things that they shouldn't do in between the house school and back. In in a way, it's a bit like when you guys showed up here. How many of you guys ever been to Cape and Ray before? Josh, sweet. So most of you didn't know where anything was, right? You were thinking, okay, this is great, cool new place, where do I sleep, and most importantly, where is the food, right? Where's the pool table? Okay, I'm more important about food than pool table, but that's all right. 
The idea, though, is when you got here and you registered, you checked in, okay, dining room is that way, your room is that way, and pool table is somewhere else, okay? They were showing you, they were taking you, maybe even somebody took you and showed you this is your bed. Ultimately, they were, as this, in this context, a tutor. Not in the sense that they were training you, they weren't teaching you anything, other than showing you the way of where you were supposed to go. That's what the law was supposed to do. The law was supposed to take us from this point of being a dirty, rotten sinner to the point of seeing that we need a savior. It was leading us on this journey of showing us we don't meet God's standards. There are consequences of God's standards. We cannot fulfill those standards. There is a substitute. What is that substitute? It's Jesus. So it leads us on this journey, guiding us to the point of, I need something other than myself and other than a lamb to save me. I need Jesus. Now, let's think about this for a minute. First, Paul said, the law was brought about because of our transgressions, our sins. Then he says it was meant to keep us for the faith. What is, what is he getting at? What is he, his bottom line, if you will? Well, the law, as I said, it was to reveal a few things, to reveal his standards. We can't meet those standards. There's a consequences for those standards. And then that leaves us in a sad and difficult place, right? It would almost be like if I were to tell you guys, you cannot eat lunch, or let's even face it, because most of us can't think that far, you cannot have morning tea, which is going to be donuts. I know, right? Now I've lost you. You cannot have a donut until one of you touches one of these bars. Okay? Now, if I were to say you cannot do it with any help, you can't get a ladder, you, can't, you just have to simply jump and touch it. You are not going to get a donut unless one of you touches that bar. No one gets a donut. My standard is touching the bar. <laughs> the standard is the bar. Your inability to reach the bar shows that you're a sinner. You've missed the mark. The mark is touching the bar. The consequence is you don't get a donut. Right? It, which is the same as death. No donut, death. It's the same thing, right? It leaves you in a sad and depressed state, doesn't it? No donut, right? But that's the point of the law, is the law was to say, you were never meant to. It's okay. Because at this point, God has the, the ability to change some things. God has the ability to insert himself into the equation and say, I know you can't reach that bar. So what could God do? God could lower the bar. God could raise the floor. God could do all kinds of things. But what God does is he doesn't lower the bar, or raise the floor, God says, I will send somebody who can touch the bar for you. I will send my son so that he will pay for the consequences so that you can have your donut. My, no, no, no. God's son. <laughs> so let me be more specific. He will send Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, Jeremiah can't reach that bar, definitely. 
But this is where the word tutor comes into play. This is where the word tutor comes in because the law was to take us to the point of understanding that we can't meet those standards. We're sinners. We can't reach that. But God sent his son to die on the cross so that we don't have to die. He paid that penalty so that we could be free from that penalty. The law was supposed to reveal to us that not only did we miss the mark of God's standards, but someone else is going to pay for that so we don't have to. It's showing us that we need a Savior. It shows us that we need not just a Savior, but we need to have faith in that Savior, leading us to being sons and daughters of God, which leads us to verse 26. Notice it says, For you are all sons, and I'll insert the word daughters, of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul says, for. Don't worry, it's not a number. What he's saying is that the law was our tutor so that we could become sons and daughters of God. The very purpose of the law was to take us on this journey to say, you can't do it, but through God's son dying on the cross for us, we can be his sons and daughters. The law is teaching us so that we could be God's children. The law was there to point out that we don't meet those standards, but Jesus does, so we could have eternal life with him. And ultimately, this leads us back to the theme verse. Notice and remember what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that is the same image of his Son, from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. So coming back to my first point is, okay, let's be transformed, that's great, but why? Why do we need to be transformed? We need to be transformed to be like Christ because he's the one that met those standards. He's the one that was able to die on the cross so we don't have to die. So what do we do now? Quite simply, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you ask him to be a part of your life. You ask him to come into your life. You seek to know him more. Those of you that do know Jesus, you study, you try to understand him better. We learn about him. We learn about the Holy Spirit and what that means. And that will be the transformation, or in other terms, the sanctification, the process of being made like him. My encouragement, and I'll close here um, with this, my encouragement is This is not an overnight process. Being transformed is a lifelong journey. We're in the day and age where everything is instant, right? We want instant coffee, not really, but we want instant information, we want instant this, instant that, and the reality is is sanctification is not instant. This transformation from glory to glory is not something that takes place tonight. It's something that we will begin today 
and we'll stumble, we'll fall because we're sinners, but we ask for forgiveness. We get up and we carry on again. And we constantly do that through life, journeying with one another so that we are on this journey of understanding we need him as our Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you that we, that we are on a journey with you, that it's, it's not a, 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 a switch that we flip. It's not a, a word that we say. It's not anything that we do, but it's what your son has done for us, and we put our faith in you and in him. Lord, I thank you that you have allowed your son to come so that we could be free from sin, that we could uh, meet those standards only because of him, not because of us. Father, I pray that you help us to see that process of being transformed, being made like him. And Lord, let us take those steps. Let us place our faith in you so that we can begin that journey. Lord, we thank you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>